0: We're going towards the back of our Bibles today Over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven letters to the seven churches Jesus has a word to his church And so we're going to look at today, the church at Ephesus We'll do some explaining, but we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 We're going to read through verses 1 through 7 And then later on today, we're going to Acts 19 And then we'll look at the book of Ephesians And it really deals with the song we just sung talking about the heart of worship, and it could be asked, why did you show up to a worship gathering this morning? What was your motivation? And what you'll see in the text today is Jesus cares about your heart, and even more so, he knows your heart, and he knows our hearts. And so today we're going to dig in To the word to the churches, seven of them. We start with the one in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2. We'll start with the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we study your word, that you show us our hearts. Lord, our our hearts are deceptive. Our motives are always changing. So Father, I pray that you deal graciously with us, that you convict of sin, that you guide us to repentance, that we love your Son more and more each day. It's in his name we pray, amen. So we go to the book of Revelation, and many of you have ideas of Revelation, but just to be clear, Revelation is from Jesus. It's Jesus' revelation of what is going to happen. And here we see in verse 1 the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending an angel to his servant John. You remember John, he's one of the disciples. He wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also writing this. He's writing down the vision that Jesus gives him of what is going to happen. We also notice in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed is the one who will read aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, Was written in it, because the time is near. There's a blessing in reading and doing what we hear today. And then we keep going. If you look down to verse 9, where is John? When he gets this vision. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience and endurance, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's in exile. He's suffering because of his walk and his work for Jesus. And then I want you to see this. And this is is going to be key to our text this morning. Revelation chapter 1, when you start seeing the vision from 10 to 20, this is the Jesus we are worshiping. And I think many times we have such a low view of Jesus that we miss out on praise that is due to his name. What happens when you see the glory that belongs to Jesus? Your heart is overwhelmed with awe. We have movies talking about praying to baby Jesus or t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. No, Jesus is the glorious, eternal Son of God who upholds the universe by the word of his power. There is no other, and there is none like him. And he demands and deserves our worship. And so look at the picture that John sees. Verse 10, chapter 1. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now that should give you memories and flashbacks to Daniel. Jesus refers to him as the Son of Man. The one who is coming, whose kingdom will know no end. Well, this is him. What does he look like, John? He's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And his right hand, he held the seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive and forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Right, therefore, what you have seen... What is now and what will take place later. What a beautiful vision of the glory that belongs to Jesus. You catch a glimpse in the transfiguration. And Peter, who's never at a loss for words, is at a loss for words. And John, who knows Jesus well, sees him and he falls down as though dead. That's the glory that belongs to Jesus. Now, here's my question to you. Have you ever been captured by the glory that belongs to Jesus? Because our world is captured by lesser glories of less marvelous things. Jesus is glorious. And this is just a little picture. And so you see, there are seven churches, and we're going to go through the seven letters. Before we get there, I want you to notice this. Each of the churches start out with a picture. They they give us a glimpse of who Jesus is. So every letter starts out with, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is what is true about him. It's very, very important that we capture that. So we're going to start out with the picture, but then we move into the positive. This is what the church is doing well, but then we don't stay there. We move to the problem. Four out of these churches have both positive things and problems. Two of these churches have only positive things, no problems. And then the last one, Laodicea, has only problems. And so you see a picture, you see the positive, you see the problem, but then you move into the pathway, the remedy. How can we make this right? What are we supposed to do in response? To what we've heard from Jesus. And then we're given a promise. Jesus shows us what's in store for the church who responds positively to the word of Christ. And we remember from verse 3, there's a blessing for the people, for the churches that hear the word, take it to heart, and do it. And you're going to see a warning today about losing your love for Jesus. And at the end, we're going to apply it to ourselves. We're going to apply this text to ourselves. and you might be here, you're like, Ben, I've never loved Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I only showed up because I'm visiting family for the 4th of July weekend. My prayer for you is that you realize who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing. But then many of you have been walking with Jesus for years. For me, I've been a Christian, a believer for 32 years. And my fire for Christ is like this ebbs and flows grows you have seasons where everything is consumed with the passion for christ and then all of a sudden you fall you get distracted then you get back on track here's the call for you who know jesus remember who jesus is catch a fresh glimpse of his glory remember what he's done for you what he is doing now in you and what he will do in the future and then respond with your heart respond with your heart And so we're going to go through, we're going to look at these seven churches. I compare it to uh, what we have on our football team and basketball team uh, as huddle. We have this program huddle. You load in the games, you see your opponent, you watch film of football or basketball, the opponents, and they're doing things. And what we do with our team, we sit down, we watch it. We point out, hey, this left tackle, look at how fast he comes out. Look at how he sets the pass block. Look at how he's blocking down on this run. And then our DNA should respond accordingly to what they've seen in film. They know what's going to happen. Now they respond. They learn from watching someone else's game, someone else playing. This is basically, we have a bunch of brothers and sisters that we learn from right here. What we see these churches doing well, we want to do well. And what we see these churches struggling with, we want to be warned, and we want to respond the way Jesus calls us to respond. We have film, game film. All of these letters, all of these seven letters to these seven churches, we can apply to ourselves and wonder, what does Jesus have for us? Redemption Church at Ashland Avenue, what if we got an eighth letter from Jesus saying, hey, this is what you're doing well, this is what you're struggling with, but this is how you should respond. That's why we're looking at these seven churches over the summer. All right, seven churches. Today, we start out with Ephesus. So, let's start out with the picture. Beautiful picture of Jesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, real quick. What are the seven golden lampstands? Who are the seven stars? You don't have to guess. When you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, check this out. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in the stands is this seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches now many people believe that these are actual angels some of them believe they are earthly messengers what you see is this is the identity of the church the leadership of the church and jesus is holding them in his hand and you remember who wrote this letter through the holy spirit it's john remember what john wrote John talked about how God also holds who in his hands? Believers. And Jesus says, listen, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And I think that's the picture the church in Ephesus would be reminded of. That's right. That is exactly who Jesus is. So when we read this, when we see that Jesus is present, we see that he has us in his hands, I think there's two reactions for us. I think there's two reactions for us in this text. Jesus is present. Jesus is present. He's here with us today. He hasn't left his church. He's still holding us in his hands. And I think this is interesting. Two responses. I think the presence of Jesus should lead to caution in his people. Should lead to caution in his... Jesus is holy, holy and powerful and glorious and we come into his presence with fear and trembling with this sense of awe and respect that's what John did in verse 17 when I saw him I felt his feet as though dead Jesus is here Jesus is present he knows what's going on Jesus hears how we speak to one another he knows how we are singing he hears our voices he knows our heart did you know Jesus is here this morning? That should give us caution in how we enter into worship. And you wonder what the scary part is? It's easy to fall into re- routine, isn't it? It's easy to go through the motions. It's Sunday, I got to get up, I got to go to a church building. All right, so you got some songs up, I'll go through the lyrics. Did we think about the words? You have a couple people pray, did we hear what they were praying? You have a guy speak. What's he saying? Or do you just endure? You see, when Jesus is present, and we know he is, it should give his people caution. But then you also see in this picture, he has us in his hands. It should give us confidence. It should give us confidence. Nobody's able to snatch people away from Christ. We played in the, the pool this past week, went on a little uh, family vacation now all of the grandkids come in uh staying at myrtle beach we're in the pool and we're throwing this football around and when balan and camden get this little football it's easy to knock it out of their hands then andrew gets the ball it's a little harder to knock the ball out of andrew's hand it's wet it's slick but i'm hitting that thing and it just sticks jesus has us in his hands there's chaos all around us but if Jesus is holding us what do we have to fear we're trying to teach Dia how to walk we go out to the waves the wave comes in and it starts to knock Dia down right she loves it she wants down at first she's a little nervous but you want to know what gave her confidence holding Julianne's hand man the waves wouldn't budge her and you can see how a one-year-old's confidence would grow because of the presence of someone holding her hand. The strength of the grip. So there's two things when we see this picture of Jesus. One, we have to realize he's here. He knows his church. He knows you well. He knows you better than you know yourself. And nothing's hidden. So that should give us caution. We need to be careful how we approach God, and at the same time, we have confidence because He holds us in His hand. So that's the picture that we see from the church in Ephesus. But then, man, you see the positive. From the outside looking in, this church looks healthy. And, and we'll go verse after verse. Chapter 2, uh, verse 2 and 3, and then 6. So it's, it skips just a little bit. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. And then you see in verse 6, but you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This church is solid on truth. They're not listening to everything. They're, they're not taking to heart everything that they hear. Oh, hey, I, I've got a word from God. This is who Jesus is. No, we're going to line it up with the word of God. We're going to line it up with truth. And if you're sharing a different gospel or saying something different about Jesus than what we see in the word, we're not taking it. You're gone. That's a good thing. Are we doing that as a church? And then you see also... Man, they're suffering. You see it in their perseverance. They're enduring hardships. It's not easy to walk with Jesus. It's not easy to walk with Jesus. And you know what? He was up front with that. If you're going to follow Him, what do you have to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's not pleasant. And you see this church, it's a crazy city. Riots break out when the gospel is proclaimed in this city. People are beaten and thrown in jail when the gospel breaks out in the city. And yet they keep walking with Jesus. They endure. They're persevering. Is that true of you? That's the positive. But then it gets to the problem. Revelation 2, 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You want to know what? I wonder if anyone else could tell. I wonder if members knew that. They may have knew it about themselves. But you want to know who did know this? Jesus. Remember in verse 14 of chapter 1, his eyes are like a blazing furnace. Jesus sees with a refining fire. And he says, church, this isn't right. You're doing the right things, but your hearts are far from me. It's kind of like gas in a car. If you're running on fumes, you've got to get to the station. The car may run for a couple miles. Some of you might have the, the things that tell you exactly how many miles it'll last. But the fact remains, if you're going to keep going, you've got to fill up. And that's what Jesus is saying to this church. Yes, you're holding strong to the truth, and you're patiently enduring, you're persevering, but it's not going to last. Why? Because their hearts are far from them. They've forsaken their first love, and this is what I've noticed. When your hearts leave, your head and your hands soon follow. When your hearts leave, Jesus, your head and your hands soon follow. You start giving up and gathering together. You start giving up and spending time in His Word. You start giving up and communicating in prayer to your Father. When your heart moves away from Jesus, soon everything else follows. But they can't escape the view of Jesus. You see this in Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This reminds me, uh, Coach Neville's in our locker room, um, would challenge our guys to to lift some weight. And the problem with our locker room is there's mirrors. And so Coach Neville's can be on the opposite side of the weight room, but because of these mirrors, he can see how a group is lifting. Well, a couple of years ago, I got the bright idea that I wanted to get strong again. So I told this group, hey, I'm gonna jump in with you guys. I might not be able to do all the sets, but I'm just gonna try to hang with you. We'll get through the stations got through the first station. got through the second station by the third station I realized I had made a mistake we are to the station called squats you put the bar on your back and you bend down and you touch a box and I'm not joking the box is like this first step now listen it's hard for me to get down that low with anything on my back and here I am I'm thinking coach Novels knows I'm in my upper 30s he's gonna give me a break I'm gonna go down I'm going to go as low as I can, but if I don't touch the box, it's not a big deal. So I go down, I go up, and I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow. I go down, I go back up, and then all of a sudden I hear Neville's yell, Hit the box! And I look to the rack to my right, and there's no group there. And I look to the weight rack to my left, and nobody's lifting at that rack. And then I see eye contact through the mirror. He's looking straight at me. Hit the box was directed towards my way. And so I thought, you know what? I'll show him. I'll hit the box. I go down, and I don't make it back up. I touch the box. The bar goes down. I get back up. So I got to realize, you know, that's your first set. How many sets do we usually do, Josh, Noah? Usually four. So I think, you know what? If he's going to keep yelling at me, hit the box, I'll just take a 25-pound weight. It's about that thick. I'll put it underneath the box. I'll stack the box. So I go back, I start hitting the box. I'm like, hey, I got this figured out. Well, the group next to me decides they're going to do the same thing. Coach Neville walks over. He sees, like, what are you doing with that weight? Get that weight. Coach Brown told us we could. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> oh, Coach Brown did not. So I got busted again. Thought I could get away with it, but I can't. The same is true with us. When it comes to the church, you can fool your family. You can fool other church members, you could fool the pastor. You could fool small group teachers. But you can't fool Jesus. He sees everything. He sees directly into your heart. And now here's the word of grace to you. If your heart's far from Jesus, it doesn't have to stay far from Jesus. There's a pathway. But the first thing we have to do is look at our hearts. So... This morning, is your heart far from Jesus? Or Or did you wake up say, "I cannot wait, cannot wait to sing some songs praising Jesus? I cannot wait to hear a word from the Bible telling me who Jesus is and what He has done for me? Cannot wait to encourage and love and pray for somebody in our family at our church? Is your heart on fire for Jesus? If not, there's a pathway. So, let's keep reading. Verse 5, the pathway. Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember the height from which you had fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You see how serious this is? See how serious this warning is? If you want to keep being the church you got to get your heart back on Jesus. And this is the warning. How do I do that? Repent. Do the things you did at first. We're going to go over this in just a little bit. That's why we're looking at Acts 19 in the book of Ephesians. But I want you to notice something here. And this isn't popular thought in today's psychology. Love is not a feeling. You don't fall in and out of love with Jesus. Jesus isn't commanding your feelings. He's commanding our commitment this love is an unconditional love. It's a commitment. It's a promise. It's a covenant. And I, I bring this up with Ava, Balen and Camden, our four daughters. There's going to be times where our feelings, I don't feel like loving them right now. Do you know what she's doing? Do you know what? Dia in the van yesterday. Nine hours, perfection. Last 45 minutes, not perfection. Right? She's doing what babies do. But it's hard to love babies as they scream, as they poop in their diapers, as they throw up, as they try to walk but fall, and you're caring and your back's hurting. But you want to know what? It's not hard to love Dia even when you don't feel like it. Why? You're a parent. You're committed. This is my kid. I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to love her until the day I die. Same is true in the marriage relationship. I've heard multiple times from multiple couples, I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love them anymore. That's not the love you're talking about. You're talking about infatuation. You're, you're talking about something as, as inconsistent as feelings. You're, you're talking about your spouse like you would a sports team. You want to know what I see? And, and I'll, use, uh, I'll use myself and Julianne as an example. There's going to be times in our marriage where Julianne will find it very difficult to love me. Her feelings might not be there for me. Man, if you only knew how annoying he is. If you only saw him when he was impatient. If you ever saw he doesn't do this, but he does do this, and he knows that gets on my nerves. And you want to know what that's true of all of our marriages, but you want to know what? Julianne still loves me, even if the feelings come and go. Why? Because she stood before God and witnesses and said, Hey, I'm going to love you until the day I die. She made a covenant, she made a promise. You want know the same's true for me. I will love Julianne. Feelings be what they may, because love is stronger than feelings. It's a commitment. It's a promise it's a covenant and so when you don't feel like doing it what's the the answer Jesus repent get back to doing what you did when you were in love that's what he told the church so if you don't feel like loving Jesus let's let's look at what the church at Ephesus did And, and now here's the cool part we have two examples in the bible of how Ephesus used to love Jesus And what they're called to go back to do. And so that's the the pathway. Repent. Do the things you did at first. And then you have this beautiful promise. Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the church is to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. What Adam and Eve destroyed in the garden, Jesus restores. Eternal life is ours in Christ. To all those who cling to him and persevere and overcome. So, let's look, remember and realize who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You go back to Acts 19, 9-10. They go into this hall of Tyrannus. Now, that's not familiar to us. Basically, it was a popular place. A lot of people would travel in and out. And Paul and his boys went and he shared the gospel, told people about who Jesus was. What he's doing. What he did on the cross and how they can have forgiveness of sin. And the Bible says in Acts 19, 10, that in two years, the whole place was filled with the gospel, that they had heard the gospel. And it says later on in Acts chapter 19, that the name of Jesus was held in high honor, was highly esteemed. What would that look like in Covington? What would that look like in your house? If Jesus' name was highly honored, highly esteemed, they had heard what Jesus has done, they remembered who Jesus was and what he is doing. And they respond with their heart. How did they respond? They brought all of this magic stuff that they used to think was valuable. They used to think this was really cool stuff, really powerful stuff, and they burned it. And it was worth about $6 million, and they burned it because they found out that Jesus is better. When you love Jesus, you can let go of lesser things, evil things, bad things. That's in Acts chapter 19, Church of Ephesus. But you also have Ephesians. I think this is interesting. If you're taking notes, Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, this is a prayer that Paul prays for his church. This is a prayer we should be praying for one another. This is a prayer that we should be praying for one another. Let's read this together. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is Paul's prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power to dominion and every name that is invoked, Not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What Paul is praying for the people is that they get in their minds and in their heart the greatness of Jesus. And then what Paul does, and there's 12 instances of this. All through Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, he reminds them of who Jesus is and what he has done. And in verse 3, he says, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is ours because of Jesus. That should warm your affections for Jesus. Chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Now, here's a question that we should be asking. How can I be holy and blameless? Because I've messed up and sinned. I'm holy and blameless because Jesus is holy and blameless. And on the cross, he took and paid for my sin and gave me his righteousness. That's something to be in love with. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's adopted us as sons and daughters through Christ. There's glorious grace that's been freely given to us in Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. That's in verse 7. Then you get to chapter 2. We've been made alive even though we were dead in our transgressions. This is what Jesus has done. He's raised us up with Christ. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So I go to Myrtle Beach. We walk into this house. We have this beach home for a week. A vacation rental. Beautiful. You walk in. You see the beach. And for a week it was awesome. But we don't get to stay there. But we knew we had a destination. And the same is true for the church. In Christ we are seated in the heavenly realms with christ it's not a vacation home it's a heavenly home and it's not for a week it's for eternity that's what we have in jesus that should move our hearts that should make us a little bit excited because i don't know how long you have i don't know how long i have but we'll say the youngest the the kids in the nursery in a hundred years their earthly home won't matter but their heavenly one will And it will matter for all eternity. And that's what we have in Christ. We were created in Christ for good works. That's verse 10. We are brought near to God through the blood of Christ. We have access to the Father through Jesus in Christ and through faith in Christ. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. All of that is ours in Jesus. And then he closes this section with another prayer. If you're taking notes, you saw the first prayer in chapter 1. There's another prayer in chapter 3. Starting with, we'll start with verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have greater power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp what? How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's what Paul's praying for this church. That Christ may dwell in your hearts richly. What or who is dwelling in your hearts this morning? What's consuming your heart's affection right now? If it's not Jesus, why is it not Jesus? Look at who he is and what he has done for us. And then you'll see in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, you'll see how they are to respond to who Christ is and what he has done. It affects how they live, how they operate as a church. It affects their marriages. It affects their families. It affects how they work. It affects their holiness and how they walk with Jesus. But you want to know what Paul does first in Acts 19 and then again in Ephesians. He always makes sure we're solid on who Jesus is and what he has done. Because once that's true, it's just a response of the heart. I compare if you if you've ever made s'mores. Let's say Miss Roberta, will you wave your hand real quick all the way in the back? Miss Roberta wards the fire. I've got my s'mores up here. I've got a stick, a marshmallow. How good is my s'more going to be standing right here? What do I have to do? I've got to get close to the fire, and the closer I get to the fire, the more this marshmallow will warm up. Now I like mine a little toasted, not burnt. Just a little brown, a little toasted. Put it in there, boom, I get a good one, but I've got to get close. That's what Paul does every time to this church in Ephesus. He says, hey, this is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. This is what he has done in Christ. And he's just saying, hey, get closer to the fire. Get closer to the fire. And this is what I've known. When people are close to Jesus, when their hearts are warmed by who Jesus is and what he has done, they respond with their hearts. Worship is different. Gathering together as a church is different. How we listen to sermons is different. How we pray is different. But it all comes from a heart that is consumed with a love for Christ. Now, it's easy looking at the church at Ephesus. Let's look real quick at Redemption Church at Ashton Avenue. We'll just take the warning about the heart. And don't think about somebody else. Think about your own heart this morning. Have you left your first love? When was walking with Jesus in your life a blast, a blessing, a joy? For me, I'll share one season with you, my senior year in high school. There were a few things that happened my senior year of high school that just, man, just consumed my heart with Jesus. One, strange enough, was an injury. My football season ended with a knee injury, and in that, I realized that Jesus had a different plan, a better plan. I realized that sports aren't as significant as I was thinking, and I realized Jesus is more significant and awesome and greater than I was thinking. That's grace. Also that year, I had this hunger for the Word of God. Grandma had given me a Bible it had these little check marks, and I just started checking it off as I was reading through it. And during my senior year, I didn't have the hardest classes. I was a teacher aide for two of them. It was fantastic. I had all the spare time, and I would just consume the Word of God. And as I consumed the Word of God, I wanted to hear more about who Jesus is and what he has done. I just kept reading. I had a small group of friends in our high school that would meet on a weekly basis that would just encourage and pray for one another. We met every Monday night. Went over to different houses through the week. And we would just pray and encourage one another. There's only five of us, and only two were from my home church. We had one from a different church, one from a different denomination, but everybody loved Jesus and wanted to encourage. And then we had a dynamic youth group. We had a student pastor that would preach the Word. We had songs that made much of Jesus, reminding us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So it was easy to praise God, and I wanted to lift my voice on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to God that was a season how about you and here's my question now what about today what about today if your heart is far from jesus today and you've never had a passion for christ you can do so pastor wilton's prayer told us a little bit about who jesus is and what he's done do you guys remember what he said Thank you for the sacrifice of Christ who gives us the forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel. We're never good enough, but we have grace that is greater than our sin, and that can be yours in Christ. And now that you know that, you can turn to Him in love and follow Him as Lord. Maybe you've been Walking with Jesus for years. And and this is interesting. I know it's the the nation's birthday, but it's also Redemption Church's birthday. Seven years ago, July 5th, 2015, we had our first service right here at 1 o'clock. We had 70 people, and then the next week we grew it to 34. And I was thinking, 4th of July, probably not the best weekend to start. 1 o'clock, probably not the best time. You know when Ashland Avenue started? It started as a mission in 1948. Brought 25 people over from Latonia, reaching Latonia Terrace. And then by 1955, December of 1955, we needed to have a church building. And it started out as the Ashland Avenue Baptist Chapel, and then was organized December, I think it's December 5th, 1955. Now listen, I don't know how long it takes to move away from Jesus. But I know in seven years with Redemption Church, it's always been a challenge. Where are we going to meet? How are we going to meet? We started out the first week. Bob, you were a blessing. Our sound system didn't work uh, because we didn't turn on one button. And you showed Andrew the next week, and we had sound. Fantastic. We go through growing pain. But you start thinking about stuff like that. The sound, the windows, how hot or how cool. Are the songs fast enough or are they too slow? Is the message too long or too short? How long does it take for a heart to move away from Jesus? I know for us, it's been a challenge to get back on track every Sunday, refocus, get our eyes back on Jesus in seven years. And I can only imagine, Ashland Avenue, with the years that you have had, how hard it is. Individual, as a believer, 32 years. I want my heart to belong to Jesus and be hot with passion for him every day of my life. Because I promise you this, 100 years isn't enough. We get eternity. And so what I pray is what Paul prayed for Ephesians, that my heart will be his. That he will be highly esteemed in my life. And my prayer for myself, I also pray for our church. And I hope that's your story too. So if you're here, you know what? what, I need to make a decision to get back to loving Jesus. You can do that today. We have an invitation. I can pray for you. you. You could come down, try to touch the first step. Nobody will make fun of you if you can't. We'll come over and help you up. You can use this as a a time of prayer. But I do know this. I hope your heart has been stirred for a love for Jesus, and I want you to respond with whatever he has for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. We thank you for his presence and his protection. Lord, we thank you that he sees everything and can deal with us graciously, calling us back to himself again and again. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours because of the payment he made on the cross. Father, I pray that you move now through your spirit, convict us of sin, help us confess it and leave it, help us hold fast to Jesus. I pray that he holds our hearts completely. It's in his name we pray. Amen.